0: Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, the tennis podcast from an insider's perspective. I'm Craig Shapiro, and on the show, I talk with the most interesting voices in the sport. We have got a great show for you today. Our guest came up in Southern California, where he rubbed shoulders with the rich and infamous, hit balls with fabled champions, and received instruction from legendary coaches. After an illustrious junior career in which he finaled junior Wimbledon and won Mizzou, he went pro and caught the attention of David Foster Wallace, who subsequently wrote one of the seminal tennis articles about him. But he's probably best known as one of the top elite coaches on the tour. He's worked with Azarenka, Conta, Pegula, and Bouchard, and he coached Maria Sharapova through three major championships. Into number one in the world Michael Joyce is going to share with us The machinations of coaching At the highest level He's going to tell us which tennis grade Helped him link up with the legendary coach Robert Lansdorp And he's going to tell us what exactly happened With him and Jeannie Bouchard The man has so many stories And so much insight We just couldn't fit it into a single episode So here is part one of my interview With Michael Joyce we met up with Michael a few months back in the midst of the U.S. Open, where he'd recently started working with Tameo Babos, the Hungarian who's best known for her doubles, where with her partner Kiki Mladenovic, she's been ranked world number one and won the WTA finals for the past three years. This episode is brought to you by Sergio Tacchini, the official apparel sponsor of Under Review. First of all, we're in Midtown, Manhattan, in the Lexington Hotel. Have you stayed in this hotel before? I did, a
1: few years ago. I think it was the Marriott, but now it's the Lexington Hotel, yeah. This changed? Changed name, yeah. So you don't stay at the
0: Parker Meridian? I
1: stayed last year at the women's hotel is Essex House. Essex House on Central Park South. Yeah, that's the women's hotel. What they do is they give you a choice of about eight or nine hotels. And the players, they give them a per diem because it's just too hard to have. And they give you special rates. And so I actually like this area better. It's easier to get out to the site. You go up to, you know, Parker Meridian or something, you gotta go an extra 20 blocks in the city. So we get out to the site pretty quick. Could be an extra
0: half hour. Gentlemen, you hear sitting cross-legged is a prolific person in tennis he was a player he was the subject of a david foster wallace short story that for all intents and purposes is widely considered the greatest thing ever written about tennis i've heard that a lot still this day <laughs> to this day to yeah. in history michael joyce is with us my man thank you very much uh, it's my pleasure We do a five-set format. This is the off-the-court report. We saw you in Newport Beach with Jeannie Bouchard. Yes. You had just kind of started up with her at that yeah, moment. Yeah, a few months
1: before. We, months we had before. just come from Australia, though. She lost to Serena, second round, and that was like the second week Australian Open, and we went there on our way back to Florida.
0: And you did good work with Jeannie, um, and then by the Miami tournament, uh, it was a wrap. yeah. Yeah, or uh, right after. Pretty the, much a few weeks after. Um, and was that acrimonious? I mean,
1: it was okay in some ways because I'm happy what I'm doing now. And, and when you're in this job, you you know these things can happen. You know, it's a job security as a coach these days, especially in women's tennis, is pretty,
0: um, it's, it, it, it's not, not great, <laughs> you know. I want to talk about that and the the nature of that, but so now, um, you have, you had a short amount of downtime, I imagine. Yeah. And you live in Florida. You've got a young daughter. Daughter Maya, three, three years old. Yeah. And so you just kind of what did you, do? you just kind of hold it down, or do you start calling agents? People know that you're back out on the market. Like, what do you do? What's your move?
1: Well, in Jeannie's case, it was a, w- a little bit strange because uh, she was doing pretty well, and she lost. Um, you know, she lost early in Indian Wells, Miami. Um, We decided, she felt like she was a little burned out. Um, She had a little bit of injury in her, her ab, and so she was going to take a little time off, which, you know, could have been a week, could have been two weeks. It turned out to be about a month. Uh, so during that time, I didn't do much. I mean, I spent a lot of time with my daughter, my wife, and, and I, was, I felt like she was gonna come back and we were gonna start training again. And you know, she gave me and her trainer a call and basically said that she um, wasn't sure when she was gonna start back. She wasn't sure that she wanted to put the work in to get back. More or less, and uh, as a coach, what, you know what can.
0: No, I don't know her personally. I know just what others know, and it seemed like she was going buck wild in Miami. Yeah. During that uh, after that, she shut that down. She was running around in a bikini playing football. She was, you know, doing uh, karaoke and all this other stuff, and. Uh, It just doesn't seem like her head was in the game.
1: No, I started working with her in October and I actually went to Israel she was there seeing a doctor because she had like a turf toe thing and so I went to Israel We spent 17 days there training and she was awesome. I mean she trained her butt off. She listened She was she worked hard. I was I I was thinking this girl. No doubt she can come back usually I can tell as a coach and having a lot of experience, I can tell usually pretty quick if I don't think somebody wants it or if they don't want to put in the work or they don't want. It was interesting with Jeannie because I didn't really feel that. I actually felt like she was, uh, she was willing to put in work. She was willing to listen. She was willing to, to do the stuff she needs to do to try to get back. However, that only lasted four months. You know, as a tennis player, you have to do this almost 52 weeks out of the year. Maybe with Maria, the years I was with Maria, she took basically two weeks off a year. Uh, usually, right before the clay court season after Miami, she'd take a week off. And then right before off season, she'd take a week off. Now, that hold on a second, that's it? That's it. You know, of course, you have certain, you know, you take a day off, you take a couple of days. But I remember her going on a little vacation in the spring and a little vacation uh, before off season, And then we'd have a good six, seven weeks of training. And then you start Australia. And that was normal because also when you take a week off or you go on vacation for a week or you do this kind of stuff, it usually takes a good two, three weeks at least to get back to what you were before. So to take two weeks or three weeks every month there, it's ridiculous, you know, and that's so where- So you,
0: you don't think Roger Federer and Joker are taking weeks off?
1: I Maybe as they're older, they might take a little bit more, but they're not taking that much time off, you know? They're not shutting no. down. They're not shutting down. That, that's what I mean, shut down. Uh, you know, there's obviously you might win a tournament and you take a couple of days off or you shut down for two, three days or four days. But you don't see uh, somebody shutting down for a month or, or five weeks. I mean,
0: that's crazy unless you have to. So no. So what do you do? You you get on the phone, you call IMG, you call ProCert. Well, what do you, you well, call Well, in
1: case, it was strange because she actually when I started with her, she was an, with an agent called Mark Fawcett. And I forgot the name of the agency, but they actually had stopped tennis in January or February so she was actually agentless after like January and this guy Mark or Matt I'm sorry it's Matt Fawcett he ended up going to IMG Jeannie was with IMG before and they don't have a great relationship so she was actually agentless so in this case when she decided to take a little time off I was in contact with really nobody Um, talked to her mom a couple times who didn't know what she was doing either so uh, I personally thought she was going to take a few weeks off and then, um, you know, start back. So I I wasn't, I just kind of relished the couple few weeks I had to spend some time with my family. You know, as time went on three, four weeks, now we were getting closer to the French Open. She's not training she said not I'm she had a trainer named Scott Burns who's a great guy and I've known him he's been her trainer on off for like five years she wasn't in contact with him either so we were both kind of sitting back you know all the work that we had done and she had done was just going away so at that point you know she called us up basically and said you know it's um you know, it was it was nice. I mean, it wasn't. We had no hard feelings towards each other. But she straight out told us she didn't know what she was going to do. So in that case, I kind of put out. I actually put out a um, a statement, just saying that we were finished working. And I got a message from Tamea uh, about two minutes later. (laughs) Oh, you (laughs) did? I did, yeah. And a bunch of other players, actually, uh, just kind of contacted me. Some agents started calling me. I knew Tamea for a long time. Maybe it was a week before the French when this happened. So... I, you know, we kind of discussed a few things, but I kind of wanted to make a good decision this time. So you person. were un-
0: you were unemployed for uh, about ten weeks.
1: Yeah, six eight weeks, about eight weeks. That's not much. Not yeah. too much. Yeah, about eight weeks. And that second month that I was home, I was actually working with about four or five junior girls. I worked. I was working some with Kayla Day. I was working some with uh, this girl that was in Florida because that's uh, what I love to do. I love to get out there and, you know, I was hitting with them, I was you working with You love to them. work with yeah. players.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just what I love, yeah. Michael Joyce's off-the-court report was only off-the-court for a very short amount yeah. of time.
1: I'll tell you, physically, it's a lot tougher to be at home, putting the hours in. (laughs) Mentally, yeah, I was on the court sometimes, six, seven hours a day.
0: Are you still world class? Can you hit with anyone in the world? Yes,
1: yeah. If I don't have to run that much, if I don't have to, that's the big thing is running. I mean, you know, I can move a little bit, but I'm not gonna be playing that many, like, points with uh, Nadal or something. But if you put me in one spot, I, I think I can hit with anybody.
0: So you start back up. Yeah. With Temea Babosh, the Hungarian doubles world number 1 I think.
1: Yeah, her and Kiki are number Kiki, 1. Theater.
0: She plays with Kiki Mladenovic and uh they are uh a formidable yes pair to say the least and and she's She's, um, had some, she's had some real results. She's a real player on tour.
1: Yeah, her career high in singles was 25. Uh, she's been main draw, of, uh, top 80 for the last six years. Um,
0: and she had a big
1: drop. Yeah, she dropped a lot. And uh, she started this year, I think, ranked 40 or something, but she was down to 160, something like
0: that. Where did you start? Well, first of all, well, well, how do you bang a contract out? What do you, Well, <laughs> now, I, now my sources yeah. tell me that you made a fortune <laughs> with Maria Sharapova. Uh, well, I mean, I did did well with her. So are you like a big ticket guy? Do you do like Bob Brett? You say, listen, you got to pay me 600 grand up front. Uh, well, That's how it is.
1: I, I'm a bigger believer, to be honest. I'm a bigger believer because I was a player. I feel like the bo- bonuses are more important. I mean, just I think it's the fair way to do it. Um, because if your players doing well, um, then obviously you're doing a good job. And I feel like both of you should uh, then, you know, be good for both. I mean, I had no problem paying my coaches uh, 10% of my winnings if I was doing great. You know? But, I, you know, some coaches ask for a huge salary right off the bat. I, I don't really believe in that. I, mean, I might be a little bit more than your average coach. But in Tamea's case, I... She basically asked me if, you know, if I could help her. And there's always a trial basis there because you can't you don't know if you guys there's so much more than to just being on the court with them. Right. You, you might know, just stay hey, watching the person yeah, eat breakfast. Exactly. I mean, especially between the men and women, and you gotta travel with them and you're eating with them a lot. And and so in, in Tamea's case, uh she asked me if I could help her, but the French Open was just starting. And neither one of us felt like it was a great idea to just show up at the French Open and start giving her advice and stuff. And so we had planned to do the grass court season. She doesn't necess- like playing on grass that much. It's not. She says it's her worst surface. And also I've, I felt like I didn't have anything lined up. I'd been home working a lot on the court. Florida was getting hot. So I told her, I gave her, I think a pretty good deal. I said, I'll come over for a few weeks and we'll see how it goes. And right off the bat, uh, I really liked her. She got to the finals of 100K right off the bat in singles, which was the best result she had had in, in, this year. Where'd she get to? Uh, Ilkley, this tournament in Ilkley, uh, which was uh, right before Wimbledon.
0: Hey, Amen. a win's a wins Yeah, and the, wins? and the
1: thing that was interesting, what it, it, she was, because her ranking had dropped in singles, she was in qualies of Wimbledon, but if she would've won Ilkley, the winner gets a wild card at Wimbledon. So all of a sudden, we were thrown into, now she's playing Nicolescu, who's a-
0: Nicol- Suz is the slice and dicer. She's got that funky slice forehand. Yeah. yeah, she's got the funkiest forehand maybe in the history. Yeah,
1: on this like crappy grass in ilkley. and Tamay end up losing six four in a third. And then played qualies the next day and had to play Lazicki, who can play good for one match. Sabine Lezicki. A finalist at Wimbledon in qualifying. So she, unfortunately, she lost that match. Lizicki hit 22 aces, and we were both disappointed because she had lost first round of qualifying. But we took those couple weeks because she was still in the doubles. We took those couple weeks to spend a lot of time. We practiced indoors a lot. It was a good opportunity for me to try to incorporate it things in her game, I thought she could do better. Like what? Yeah, well, she's a very, she plays very aggressive in doubles, she's got a huge serve, she's great around the net, When she plays singles or when i was watching her play this year she was it looked like she was allergic to the net (laughs) she'd stand back six feet and she was playing very passive uh slicing a lot play play, looked like somebody that didn't have a lot of confidence um was trying to grind out matches which she could do a little bit because she's a great competitor but i felt like she wasn't using her weapons she wasn't using her um, you know the things that she does well and I'd seen her do that before in singles well so I think grass wasn't the perfect place to work on a lot of that stuff because grass also makes you be a little bit more aggressive and she was getting a lot of free points on her serve but but I feel like this summer the last four or five weeks especially on hardcore she's been able to build on the stuff we work there and she's won uh I've 15, 16 matches this summer. And she's almost, she's back to the top 100 now already. It's funny because when I started with Jeannie, she was like 140, she got up to 70. I started with Tamea, she was 150, and she's back up to about 100, and she has no points to defend. So I could be actually one of the first coaches that's gotten two girls like, Into the top 100 in the same year (laughs) in a small period of time, which isn't easy to do. (laughs) Yeah, which is actually, I'm almost more proud of that than winning Grand Slams with Maria because, you know, that's, uh, it's all fun to me. I'm very competitive, so I like that stuff.
0: Yo, listen up. Michael Joyce, one of the sneaky success coaches right this second. So when you started having the success, then you got to, what what happens? The agent says, listen, we're going to give you a contract.
1: Yeah, well, in Tamaeus' case, she's a little, she's she's like a huge star in Hungary, but a lot of people don't know her anywhere else. Hungary is not a huge tennis uh, country. I mean, they've had some good players over the years, but she was number one in doubles, which she's the first, like, Hungarian to be number one. So she actually, her agent, and she does a lot of stuff with her sister, her family. So I... I've kept the deal kind of the same, just more or less a week-to-week thing also because I'm not with her that I'm afraid, but, you know, eventually, I'll. if I stay with her, we'll have to do a contract, but... Sometimes I feel, and it, and I don't even know if this maybe happened with Jeannie a little bit, but sometimes I feel that the players, if they think that you could leave at any time, <laughs> it helps a little bit too because, you know, she respects me. She knows that, you know, I, I have other people I can work with. I, you know, I could go to another player. And so the fact that I'm with her and I believe in her, I think helps her confidence it helps the relationship because I'm truthful I tell you know sometimes you get it's never really happened to me but sometimes you get some some coaches who you know they sign a contract they're you know they're in for more or less the long haul and then you know then the player starts to think oh you know he loses respect I, I don't know but I don't like right now how the coaches and players are switching so much in women's tennis. So I really would like to find a good fit, whether it's somebody in the top 10, whether it's Tamea, whether it's somebody, I'd like to stay with them for a couple years because I feel like that's the best way for me to help them. So technically we're still on a trial. I'll stick with her till the end of the year and then probably she'll make championships and doubles.
0: And do you get paid in full on the doubles?
1: Well, that's a, see, that's another thing. I don't personally feel that she, I think if I stay with her and we continue to work, I'll get uh, something with the doubles, but I also feel that she could do well in doubles on her own, which she showed she could. She didn't have a coach for about six or eight months and she made finals of the last four grand slams, winning Roland Garros and here they had match point last year. And, you know, and so she's, she's she's a beast in doubles you know and doubles is a lot less you have a partner you can you can be a little bit out of shape you could be not moving that great you could you know but she knows how to play doubles so she could actually go play the doubles without a coach and i think she'd be very successful but singles she needs somebody and she knows that and I think once we make a deal, I'm sure I'll throw the doubles in there a little bit because it's, if she's playing good in singles and she's getting better, it's just going to make her doubles even more successful. I think you should get paid on everything, man. Yeah. I mean, the nice part about her doing well in doubles is that it gives, she makes good money. So it, it's, she's able to afford. You know, paying me a good salary, even though she was ranked 150 in the world, because the average girl who's playing qualifying or is ranked 120 in the world, they that don't aren't winning grand slams and doubles, they're not going to have the money to pay you unless she's like a, you know, some up and coming Coco Golf or something, you know, that has big contracts. But that's that's rare, obviously.
0: You know, part of the on the court report, quite often, we like to get the guests' impressions of what they've seen you know, on tour. Is there anything you're seeing out there that's um, interesting?
1: I mean, the biggest thing, and I think it's been going on for a few years, is that every week you have, uh, there's an opportunity of having a different winner. I mean, you don't have, like the men, you don't have the more or less three top guys. I mean, this girl, Sai Sai Zhang, won San Jose. I mean, I know the there wasn't tons of top players, but I don't think she's won more than two or three matches in the United States in the last seven years. I mean, she gets all her points in China. You know, she wins the China hundred Ks, and she's a great player, no doubt. But she's never done anything in the U.S. She pops in San Jose, wins the tournament. Uh, you got Andrescu, what she did is incredible, to, especially coming back from injury like that and not playing and coming into the tournament uh girls uh, o- older players let's say serena maria um venus y- y- venus you know they're struggling to play uh five six matches i mean in some cases there's some of them are struggling to play a match kuznetsova was a big surprise i mean for her to all of a sudden come out of nowhere and yeah, kuznetsova. Keys has a- yeah, kuznetsova
0: i was shocked to see that what do you know um, about kasakina
1: Kasekina's been playing terrible this year. She's, uh, she yeah, looks a little better the last few weeks. She's you, got a coach now. Are you, are you hearing anything of what her
0: problem is?
1: <laughs> I have no idea except for the fact that she's a shell of what she was last year. I mean, sure. you know, one thing I, I do see a very common denominator with these girls. They, when they don't have a coach, they can't win.
0: I gotta be honest with Maybe you. Maybe for a week, but I was waiting okay. to hear you were gonna be with Penko.
1: Well, that was the, my <laughs> next thing I was gonna say. She look at the players I mean, who she is have tragic. had tragic. You know, she is either switching coaches or her mom shows up or it, it's it's a you cannot be that good and win a Grand Slam. I mean, I think she's incredible. At sometimes, she can't play tennis. Sometimes, I mean. Every time Sloan earlier this year when she didn't have a coach was like horrible. I mean, we're talking like somebody who's won the U.S. Open. I saw her in Indian Wells. She looked like a beginner. And and the common denominator there is they don't have a coach. Now, they might be able to go for a week. You know, maybe they have a coach and they go for a week and they can do okay. But over a few weeks or months, it it happens all the time. And I don't understand. I know it's not easy. It's not easy to find the right balance. Not easy to find the right coaching sometimes. But these girls can't can't do it on their own. I mean, especially the
0: young girls. It almost. But you could even say the men too. There's nobody. There's nobody winning matches. No. Let's be honest. There's nobody winning. You got to have. A trainer, a coach. Even if you're sharing a coach, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Her cost, he shares with. Sure, there's enough time. Craig for Boynton. That. Craig's a great coach. But I didn't I'm saying realize- though, like whether it's the women or the men, there's nobody winning no, matches. You can't.
1: No. I mean, if you actually put the X's and O's aside, okay, like actually, you know, coach is going to help you improve, hopefully, and you know, get you to play the right way and so forth. But if you actually, that's so important. But you put that aside, now you have the whole. Um, situation of like having the support team around you and and the parents usually aren't enough you know parents uh, parents are parents i mean i know my dad was an unbelievable coach and he helped me tremendously when i was younger but when i was like 22 23 i'm not looking over to my dad to pump me up i mean it, it doesn't work you know but all of a sudden i had a guy there who believes in me and he's you know invested in me and he's spending the time all of a sudden you want to do well for that person they, these girls need that, and you know, to me, it's crazy when they have this kind of money and they have a chance to, and they don't have that. I mean, the coach that was with Castaquina last year, I think he was a Dutch guy or so, I don't, or maybe Belgian guy. Like, even he walked down the court a few times and did some really good speeches and talks or whatever. But this guy obviously helped her. I mean, she got to, what, eight or nine in the world. I mean, now she's, a, she, she, she does have a coach now. She's working with the same guy that's working with Kuznetsova. So he's a Spanish guy. So she's sharing him. And she actually looks a little better last few weeks, which, not surprising. She has a coach. <laughs> but to let yourself go that far, or like Ostapenko, to let yourself go that
0: far, uh, it, it's crazy to me yeah and and it, it clearly seems to be symptomatic of the money. <laughs> well, typ- Maybe. yeah, typically, typically it I seems mean, like there's money so big. these yeah. players are driving their own bus, and it goes sideways real quick.
1: I mean, even Jeannie, real quick, I'll tell you, in Jeannie, I had the thought process in my head that if she got back to the top thirty, let's say which she, she, I felt that she could. If she got back to the top 30 where she's seated in Grand Slams, she would probably make an extra couple million dollars a year. So instead of doing an energy drink on Instagram on the beach playing football for five grand, why not focus a little bit and get to 30 in the world, which she's definitely capable of doing, and then all of that is multiplied times a thousand. That you know nonsense. how I many people make that, make that mistake? It's, it's, it's actually nauseating, to be honest. Yeah. But I see it in tons of players. And it's a known fact. I mean, a known fact that if they do it, if, if they're thinking about money, which a lot of them probably are, it's the same thing. You hire a coach, you win three extra matches, you pay for that coach. In some cases, maybe one extra match. You pay for that coach. It's like crazy
0: to me. He's right. If you're going to be a pro, you have got to pay for a coach. And if you want to look like a pro, you got to get into a Sergio Tacchini warm up suit. And the good people at Sergio Tacchini have agreed to supply such a suit to one lucky under review listener. That's right. You could be hitting the court in the brand of champions. Like Hingis, Sampras, McEnroe, and Sabatini. Just hop on the Instagram, follow us, and Takini. And when you see one of our giveaway posts, tag a friend who loves tennis. You'll be automatically entered to win a Takini warm-up suit and a Takini bucket hat. Our Instagram handles are underreviewtennis and sergiotakiniofficial. Follow us and tag a friend. We'll announce the winner at the end of the month. And good luck. Now let's get back to my talk with the one and only Michael Joyce. Let's move into our third set. This is the part of our show where we talk about your career. I know probably more about you than than most. Um, we've talked to friends of yours, and you know certainly, if you read the David Foster Wallace short story, yeah. You know, it's not that short, by the way. <laughs> yes, it's like not. 50 pages. Yeah. Do you know the name of the story?
1: Well, the book was called Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again. And they took about three or four of his short stories that he had done in magazines. And, you know, it wasn't supposed to be an Esquire. Wait, but
0: I want to get to it. But okay. I want to start. So so you grew up in Southern California. Yes. You're, And you're a Southern California player.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Played all juniors there. To my coach was Lansdorp growing up. How'd you start? My grandfather was a cameraman, a director of photography. And then my dad was getting into this uh, business as well, but he loved tennis. It was like something he loved when he was a kid. So he actually used to string rackets and he used to play at Plumber Park with, Poncho Gonzalez and all this. And, you know, he wasn't as.
0: Plumber Park in West Hollywood. That's a great park.
1: Yeah, it had four or five courts. So he actually, he used to work in the shop there and he strung rackets. He said his first coach was Bill Tilden because these, back in those days, those guys had to teach lessons. Big Bill, uh, Bill Tilden. Bill Tilden, yeah. So he just, he wasn't as good, but he loved tennis. And then he did, however, go to the army and they let him teach tennis there. So he said he didn't actually have to go to war because they all wanted him to keep teaching tennis to the colonels. So he
0: got to skate out on having yeah, a his yeah. life.
1: Yeah, they wanted their tennis coach there on the base. So he kind of got out of it for so many years. And he built a court. Yeah, he built a court when I was uh, four years old for him because he uh, he would have the guys over on the weekend and he'd play. And so, I, I mean, my first memories are there's pictures of me sitting in like the ball machine with balls when I'm two years old, three years old. And so he was kind of like my first coach, like fed me some balls. You know, back then you weren't thinking you're going to be a pro when you're a kid like they do now. It was more it was what the family was doing.
0: Chucky Adams says that he used to come to your house. Yeah, That's how
1: Chucky you said he used to play with my dad, actually, when he was probably nine and I was six or something.
0: Chucky Adams, an early guest on our show, he's also one of these Southern California players.
1: And he, well, also my dad, when we moved into the house, I remember when I was three, It didn't have a tennis court, and it had like a swimming pool and a little like a tree house or something. My dad actually tore that down and and wanted a court. So the court was just enough room. It wasn't like it was some huge mansion. Just the court was just enough room, and it was actually really short on the back and in the sides. And it actually probably helped me take the ball early because you couldn't go back. (laughs) You'd hit the fence. So that was the court that I played on all the time. And then, Actually, they had a little condo in Palm Springs and one day, Uh, Well, Chris Everett and John Lloyd had a place. It was Sunrise Country Club. And I guess I was eight or nine. I was hitting, and Chris Everett saw me.
0: Chris Everett, when she was married to John Lloyd, she was Chris Everett Lloyd.
1: Lloyd, Right, they had a place there, and she, I guess, started talking to my dad. Said, oh, your kid's good, and suggested that I go to Lansdorp if I want to make this serious. And then that was- Robert
0: Lansdorp, a famous coach who claims Sampras, Tracy Austin, Lindsey Davenport, uh, Maria, some of his pupils. Yeah,
1: he was like the guru of Southern California tennis. And I remember I was probably like eight then. So apparently the story is they called him for like six months and he kept saying he didn't have time. And then one day I was at school and I remember it was like third or fourth grade. I remember them, the, somebody coming in and pulling me out of school. I didn't know why and it was my parents and they said oh we got you in with Robert But you got to be there at 11. So I took my first lesson which I have on video still which I gave to Robert And they put on tennis channel last year They had some clips from it because my mom filmed it and I took a lesson a week for the next uh,
0: You know 12 years. What did you learn from him?
1: Well, Robert was great teaching the fundamentals. He was uh, disciplined fundamentals He, he Pretty much taught me my strokes. My dad knew tennis well enough to where the stuff that Robert wanted me to do worked on. I would work with my dad. Uh, he used to shoot movies, but then he'd be home for months. You know, he he kind of had his own schedule, so he could spend time with me. And since I had the court at the house, it helped. I did have a lot of other coaches or people my, that help me I mean I remember I could go through the list I mean my dad used to hire these guys from UCLA to hit with me um, there was a guy named Bruce Foxworth that was a, a, a probably the smartest guy I've ever met tennis wise that hit with me for eight years uh, twice a week I worked a little bit with this coach Paul Cohen who was coaching uh, a teacher Cohen. yeah Paul
0: Cohen Paul Cohen we got to learn more about this guy at some point but his name comes up a lot yeah. in pro tennis. I think he might have worked with Harold Solomon. Yeah, his, I think he might have worked. McEnroe. His McEnroe. big guy
1: was Harold Solomon, and he had this one junior who I never met, but he supposedly was phenomenal. This guy Howard Schoenfeld, and the guy ended up, you know, dying. And uh, but he supposedly was like one of the best juniors, like of all time. And Cohen, was, had, Cohen had these, like, drills. I actually still do them with so some of my players. I mean, I, all the years of these coaches, half of what I do is stuff I, they did to me. So, you know, so I had a lot of great players around my parents. So I was lucky enough they had enough money they could help pay for some, you know, guys to come over, hit with me. And Robert was kind of, like, my main coach. But I always tell people Robert was great, but I only saw Robert, like, once a week, you know. So it was, like, you know, obviously the time my dad spent, the players around. We had great players in the neighborhood. Southern Cal in those days was like, you didn't have to go anywhere. The tournaments were uh, Michael Chang, Sampras, Chucky, Tarango, you know, all these guys were playing the local Whittier tournaments. So you know, traveling to uh, overseas like they do now, you didn't you didn't have to do that. But you did it though. Well, I did it at like 18, 17, okay. 18, so, yeah. So, so you're playing local. Yeah, and, and then the nationals, you had the normal, you know, nationals were like three a year. But something.
0: you had like an outstanding junior career.
1: Yeah, I ended up winning Kalamazoo 18s, which Chucky won also a couple years before me. But that was a big one because you got a wild card, U.S. Open, and Stuff and I got to finals of Junior Wimbledon and and who'd you uh, lose to in Junior Wimbledon Anquist, but it was a sick draw. I play. I you want to hear who I played that turn? I'll never forget. I played second round. I played um, Kenneth Carlson, who was a good player. Kenneth Carlson was Danish. I believe. Yeah. His hair was almost white. Yeah, white. Yeah. Big lefty serve. He was second. Third round. I beat Andre Medvedev, uh, who I lost to at the French Juniors. (laughs) No quarters. I beat Medvedev. Semis. I beat Rosetsky Finals. Lost to Anquist. And But there was that, Kafelnikov was losing somewhere in quarters, but it was an unbelievable group that year. French juniors, I lost to Medvedev in the semis, and then Medvedev beat Anquist in the finals. And then in the U.S., the best players were like Vince Badia, uh, myself. Finals at Kalamazoo, I beat Ivan Barron, who actually won it the year before. Wow,
0: Ivan Barron. Yeah, and so, but I Ivan actually... Ivan Barron, was I believe the journey. father, they have the tournament that used to be in Coral Springs. Yeah, now Delray. in Delray. Yeah,
1: they own that tournament.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Ivan Barron was a highly touted junior who never quite broke through. Yeah,
1: he actually, I think he made a little bit of mistake. He had won Kalamazoo and he ended up going to college for one year at University of Georgia. And then he went back to Kalamazoo and then I beat him in the final. Um, and then he, he yeah he's actually the dad started that tournament was the tournament director for a few years Ivan took over so I think oh, Ivan, right? Ivan's now the tournament so director he's in the but the dad business. yeah yeah, and yeah, he took over that tournament so he does the senior event there and everything shout out to Ivan Barry, great guy so how
0: do you become a pro well, player well I
1: actually was supposed to go to UCLA because I grew up watching UCLA tennis we lived nearby that's how I knew all these guys teacher and I used to have these guys David Livingston came to my house and you know all these UCLA guys. I live five minutes away. So we watched all the matches. Um, I wanted to go to school. Uh, My parents kind of wanted me to go for a little while. So I was actually going to UCLA. And then that after I graduated high school is where I went to Europe played French juniors and I got to finals the Wimbledon juniors and then I was I won Kalamazoo and then in the US Open I played the one guy I probably could beat I be, played this guy Pat Crow. He was from Southern Cal. He's a good player but he was more of like a local Southern Cal player. Pat Crow. Crowbar.
0: Yeah, big lefty guy. Pat Crow played on one of the great Teams Long Beach yeah. that, that I think they may have won the Nationals or they got to the final there's like a legendary story right. about Pat Crow, and that was the first Peter, Peter Smith, Smith yeah. who is the now newly yeah. dropped out of being the coach of USC, like, like Vinny Horcasitas yes. was on that yeah, team. Yeah,
1: they had they had a bunch of guys who were like kind of misfits who were all talented. They, they were like yeah. the UNLV exactly. running rebels right. of college yeah. tennis. Exactly. So you
0: could beat Pack. Well, it was
1: just kind of funny <laughs> because I had played him in when I was sixteen because similar to like chucky when i was 16 i started playing a lot of these like money tournaments and stuff around l.a because you had a lot of these open tournaments that you know they the winner would get 500 bucks or 200 bucks. they throw five grand in a pod and yeah and you know this michelo blight was the two two thousand of the winner and a lot of times i couldn't take it but i could take some of it because of gas money and this and that. but like back then you played everything you know that was the thing you played juniors you played so he was cleaning up in these money tournaments, Pat Crow, and I had actually played him a couple times and beat him in these money, because I started winning a lot of these money tournaments when I was 17, because I was starting to get pretty good. So I was winning all of the local money tournaments. Damn. And so I go to the US Open and he was on the tour, but he might have been ranked two or three hundred, and he qualified. I remember he beat Sandon Stalley, who really? was seated number one in qualifying, and Crow qualified. And after I won Kalamazoo, you get a wild card, draw comes out. I played qualifier. I remember. T- Laughing, looking at the qualifiers, and I said, "If I play Pat Crow, I got a shot here." I played Pat Crow. The thing was, is I go out there and he's playing good. I mean, he was a good player, talented guy, and he won the first set six four. And I remember he had two set points. Second set, I won seven six, and then I ended up winning the next two six two six two. Come on, yeah. And then so I, since I won a round, and then I played this guy Wally Masur, who made semis, by lost in five sets to him. So I decided to turn pro then because I. Hold on a second. So you pl- you you yeah. play Williams yeah,
0: of up to the wire?
1: Yeah, I don't know if he made semis that year, or like the year after. But Wally he was Masso a good is a solid top player. 10 player in yeah, the world. he was a good solid player, and to play him like five sets was pretty amazing at the time. He
0: must have been thirty-five, and you were he, 19, 18. eighteen. Yeah, I was
1: eighteen, and so he might and, have been like thirty-two. He, yeah, at the time he was probably. Th- I was eighteen, and the, I kind of felt if I went to college, I was only going to go for a year or two. The team at UCLA was sick. I mean. They had like David Sanguinetti was like number six, and he, you know, he made quarters at Wimbledon.
0: David Sanguinetti, an Italian, sort of like like a prematurely gray-haired Italian who actually had a he was top hundred for a lot of years. A lot of years. He was
1: like six on the team. You had Bill Barron's was like
0: four. You had (laughs) David Sanguinetti played six, man.
1: Yeah. So I would have been like fighting my way to even. I mean. I made a deal ahead of time because it was Bassett's last year. He said, if I go to, because my parents, like, if he goes to school, will he even play? You know, this is unbelievable. And he said, he will play. Don't worry. And, but then I kind of felt like I was only going to go a year or two. And so since I did well, I was able to sign some decent contracts. What did you sign? I signed uh, with Fila. I remember I got $70,000 from Martin, Martin Mulligan. Yeah, he signed me. I remember I got 70,000 the first year. And then I remember I got 30,000 from Yannick. So the 100,000 was enough for me to travel and pay for a coach at the time. Only problem was is Two months after being a pro, I fell and dislocated my shoulder. So now I was out of tennis. Hold on, hold on. You fell? Yeah, yeah. I got three pins in, in my shoulder here, my left. You fell on the court? I fell on the court in a tournament in Philadelphia, last round of qualifying after having three match points against this guy, Stefan Simeon, at 6-5 in the third set tiebreaker. I went for a ball, fell, shoulder tore out, uh... I actually, he was out for three or four months, rehabbed it, started playing again, started playing some salad stuff, then it dislocated again. Tom Golikson ran into it and knocked it out again at a USGA camp, how about that? Calling my parents on that one.
0: Well, I gotta just playing stop, basketball. I gotta stop down for one second.
1: <laughs> yeah. Playing basketball. Playing basketball. Oh. In Miami, at a we were at a training camp at Key Biscayne and I was playing with John Stark, Jared Palmer, all these guys. Tom Gullickson ran for the ball. I mean, it was a mistake of course. I went for the ball. He ran into my arm. It came out like lethal weapon. It flew out. Oh, golly. Went back. I went to Jackson Memorial Hospital, like worst hospital in the world, so they could put it back in. And then obviously they said I needed surgery because it kept popping out. So, you know, that held me back about a year and a half. So I didn't really break into the top 100 until I was like 21 or something.
0: We got to back up for one second. Do I have it right? that you went to high school with the Menendez brothers? We will have more of Michael Joyce in part two coming to you shortly. Huge thank you to Michael Joyce. We'd like to thank Sergio Tacchini, the official apparel sponsor of Under Review. See what they're doing at sergiotacchini.com. If you want to help support Under Review, Please head on over to patreon.com slash underreviewtennis. Not only do you get to join the Under Review family and help us continue to produce top-level insider interviews like this, you can also get some amazing perks along the way, like hitting sessions with some of our former guests, including the California stalwart mentioned in this show, Chucky Adams. Chucky normally saves his hitting sessions for McEnroe, but he will hit with you. All you've got to do is head on over to patreon.com slash underreviewtennis and sign up. That's patreon.com slash underreviewtennis. We really appreciate it. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. We also love hearing from you, so if you have a topic you want explored or a person you want to hear from, please let us know. Our email is info at underreviewtennis.com. At UR with CS is our Twitter handle. Under Review Tennis is our Instagram and Facebook. To catch some clips or some of our interviews, check out our YouTube page. Our producer is Scott Tuft, and our music is by Brian Senti. Jason Benning did our mix. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.